Kadosh, we continue our study of the Taryag Mitzvot. We're up to number 131. It's a positive commandment. It's the first mitzvah in Parashat Tzav. And that is the mitzvah that's called Terumat Hadeshin. What is that mitzvah? That every morning the Kohen must rise up the ramp of the Mizbeach and take some ashes from the Mizbeach and place them in a certain area that we will discuss. The Pasuk says, in Tzav, Perek Vav, Pasuk Gimal, Ve'lavash ha'kohen, Mido Bad, the Kohen Pesohan is Begadim, Ve'herim et Hadeshen. And he lifts the ashes from the Mizbeah. As we know, the Sefer HaChinuk tries to explain to us the rationale of the Mizbah. In this case, he says, and I quote, Le'hagdil kevod habayit, the goal is the Bet HaMikdash we want to make it glorified and make it as beautiful as we can it makes the Mizbeah more beautiful that in the place where you're going to put the fire for the new day's Kurbanot that it's clean that you take away the ashes to make it pretty the table of God should not be less than the table that we eat from in our own home. Nobody eats on a dirty table. So therefore, when you bring the korbanot, it's proper to clean it. Ve'od, dolek deshen. The Hanukh gives a practical reason. If you're trying to light a fire, the fire will light better in a place where it's not sitting on ash. So therefore, they move it away in order to make the fire better. Now, the Hanukh, as his general practice is, gives us a quick summary of some of the details, how this mitzvah is fulfilled. I'd like to go through them. First of all, this is considered an avodah. I would have said maybe it's maintenance. So let him put on a, a jumpsuit, and let him go on the Beit HaMikdash, and the mitzvah and clean it. But the Torah says he has to wear bigdei kehuna. He has to wear the bigadim, although the Gemara says he doesn't wear a good pair of bigadim. He wears bigadim pechutim, less valuable, because it's not proper that he wears the same begadim that he cleans with, that he uses the same begadim that he serves with. But nonetheless, he has to have begadim kehuna. Number two, every morning the Tirumat edition was done, the first thing in the morning at Alota Shahar, which was done at dawn. However, on the holidays, which means Shalosh Galim, they already cleaned the Mizbeah from the beginning of or from the, I should say, the last third of the night. So they did it earlier. Now why would they do it earlier on the Galim? Obviously because there's more ashes on the Mizbeah. People brought in the Darim and the Redavot, and therefore the Mizbeah was filled with ash, so it took the Kohen longer, so therefore he would come before Alot Shahar in order to clean it. Now on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol, who all the service was done by him, he had to clean the Mizbeah, from Hatzot Laila at midnight, which is the earliest the Mizbeah has ever cleaned. Why? The Chinook explains, because it gives the Kohen a chance to rest between the service of Terumat Adeshin and the morning Avodah as well. Again, the Kohen Gadol is very busy that day, so we like to split up the uh, jobs to make it a drop easier. Furthermore, who would be Zochet to clean the Mizbeah? How did they decide? It was done in a system called Pais. The pious is the lottery. 
Every morning the Kohanim would get together. The one that would win the lottery, that's considered winning the lottery to serve God, would have to go to the mikveh. After he comes out of the mikveh, he puts on bigdeh kehuna, then he must make tibilat yadav benaglav, he cleans his hands and his feet from the special sink. After that he takes a silver shovel, and he walks up to the mizbeah, and first he, uh, he makes a... Uh, uh, a motion where he s- turns the coals around the mezbeah, back and forth, and then he looks where the coals were eaten and consumed the most, which is the ashes, and he fills that shovel up. After he fills the shovel up, he walks all the way down the ramp. Now when he's at the floor, now he's facing the mezbeah, north, he walks up the ramp again, ten amot, and to his right, which is the mezrah, there's a little area next to the ramp, and three tefahim away from the ramp, he places the ashes in that spot. That's the makom that he places it. Now I should point out that after he finishes his job, other kohanim go to the mikveh and they run up the mizbeah, and then they do some maintenance. Now they're not cleaning the mizbeah, but they just take all the rest of the ashes, they sweep it, and they put it all in the middle, and they create a big pile of the remaining ashes. That pile is called the tafuah. Now, that middle area of the Mizbeah from time to time is going to air up and it's going to be a, a big mountain of ashes. So there was a separate maintenance service that was done from time to time where they would take a big type of vessel, the Mishnah calls it a Pesachter, and the Pesachter shovel this big mound of ashes. And this is not called Terumat Adeshin, this is called Hotza'at Adeshin. Again, from time to time they did it, and they would take it outside the Mahaneh, and they would discard it there. This mitzvah applies, obviously, only when the Beit HaMikdash is Kayam. It only applies to males, because females are not suitable to be Kohanim. If the Kohen is negligent, and he does not clean the Mizbeah, he has transgressed a positive commandment. Now, I must say, uh, quickly, the interpretation that Rav Samson Raphael Hurst said regarding this mitzvah, it is very, very noteworthy. He said that when we bring a minha, what's the main mitzvah of the minha? The komets. Komets means we take a little piece, we scoop up a little piece of the minha, and we put that on the mizbaya. So he says, what komets is to minha, terumatadeshin is to the korban. Because after all, the korban now turns into ash. So how do you take a komets of a korban? You scoop up some of the ashes from the Mizbeah and you bring it down. Why would you need... To, that's why the Kohen have to wear Begideh Kehuna. Because just like Kemitzah is considered an Avodah, Turumat Adeshul is all considered an Avodah. But why would you need to make a Kemitzah on the Korban? So he says something beautiful. He says, we want to remind the sinner or the people that don't... Uh, 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 today's a new day. And don't forget the service that we did the day before, these korbanot were brought yesterday, they're supposed to remind the person, you got kapara yesterday. So when he sees the ashes on the side of the mezbeah, he says, oh, this is already an avodah that we've begun yesterday. Don't stop the momentum. Continue it. So the ashes on the side of the mezbeah is le'otul zikaron. It's a reminder that the person should keep his uh, religious status and momentum going and not uh, Shalom be delinquent like he was. And therefore, it serves as a, uh, a, a stark reminder in order to motivate 
those people in the Beit HaMikdash to continue their service. Nonetheless, Rabotai, we do not have a Beit HaMikdash today, but we learn these mitzvot, and Nachamim tells us by learning the mitzvah like we just did, we get credit as if we fulfilled the mitzvah based on the principle of it'll be very soon in our time, and then already we'll be able to not only uh, read about these mitzvot, but we'll actually visualize and see the Kohanim Ba'avodatam Amen Kinyiratzon. Beshut Malataram, Beshut Kan Kadosh, we continue our study of the, of the uh, Taryag Mitzvot. And we are up to number 132, which is a positive commandment that's on the Kohanim, and that is the Mitzvah to put a fire on the Mizbeach every morning. It's in Parashat Sav. And it's based on the Pasuk in Perek Vav, Pasuk Vav, Esh Tamid, Tukad, Alam Mizbeah. That the Kohanim have to make sure that there's a constant fire on the Mizbeah. And as we'll see that this Mitzvah applies not only in the morning for the Tamid Shel Shahar, but it also applies in the afternoon. They must put some more wood on the Mizbeah for the Tamid Shel Ben Arbay. Now, the question over here is obvious. What do they have to put fire on the Mizbeach at all? There was a miracle that says every day in the Beit HaMikdash that the fire came down from the Shamayim. So therefore, why can we not just rely on the miracle that took place? What is the Kohen adding by putting wood on the Mizbeach? So the Hinuch over here says a tremendous hashkafa. And I quote, Ki yadua, ki anisim kadosh baruchu, Le'olam ya'asem derech setam, or derech seter, I should say. But Le'olam, whenever he makes miracles, he tries to minimize the miraculous element. And he tries to do it in a concealed way, which we would say, bederech ha'teva, even though it's miraculous, but he hides it. The classic example is when the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim. And it says the sea split. But what does it say the night before? The night before, there was a wind that was blowing. So the people who want to, you know, not believe in the miracle will say, yeah, the wind, the wind split the sea. Now why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu do that? Make it clear, make it that it's obvious. So he says a tremendous chedush. It's to the exalted status of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does he mean to say? <clears throat> Why does somebody publicize something? Because he wants kavod. Because he wants honor. Hey, look what I did. Because he needs it. He needs to prove himself. He needs to show himself. Says the Hinuch, Hashem needs to prove himself to anybody. Hashem needs kavod from anybody. So Borelam is not looking to promote himself. So therefore, on the contrary, I don't have to go and make open miracles where it's beyond the shadow of a doubt. But Olam says, I don't need anybody's kavod, I don't need your glory, I don't need your compliments. Humans need that. So therefore they have to make big noise. But Olam says, I'm going to do it my way, basetir. You want to believe it? Baruch Abba. You don't want to believe it? Good luck to you. <clears throat> he keeps it in a small way. So therefore, go back to the reason. It's true there's a fire that comes down every day from the Shamayim. But Borei Olam says, I want the miracle to be minimized. So therefore, put wood on the Mizbeah. So therefore, my miracle doesn't have to be standing out so much. Even though everybody knows it's a nest, but do it derekateva. Minimize the miracle. To share how great HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. Now he gives a second reason, which is also incredible. 
We know that human beings are made up of elements. <clears throat> One of the elements that we're made up of is fire. Ish. Now, the ish is a good thing if it's balanced, but God forbid it could be a liability if it's a little high. Take for example, the fire in a person gives him the energy to move and to do things. Like sometimes they say, well, the guy has a, he has a fire in him. What does it mean? He's motivated. He's doing things with, with zealousness. That comes from the inner fire of a person. Now, if Shalom, the fire is too high, so then God will get sick. People get fever. That comes because the fire is too high. Or if the fire is too low, so then he becomes lazy. And he's not able really to, to move. So Kadosh Baruch Hu says, I want to bring a beracha and balance to the inner fire of every human being. So what do we do? You fight fire with fire. So by the Kohen putting fire on the Mizbeach, that influences the inner fire of every human being. That means we were better off as humans because the Kohen put fire on the Mizbeach. That would save the people from fever, and it would save them from a decrease in the uh, temperature of the body, which would cause them not to function. So therefore, he brings a proof, if you remember, that Bnei Aharon, Bnei Aharon, it says, they brought Esh Zara. They put too much fire on the Mizbeah. And what ended up happening to them? It affected them. They got burnt as well. So you see, the fire of the Mizbeah affects the, the person. The fire of Bnei Aharon ultimately caused them to get burnt. And therefore, the Kohanim, every day, I guess they had this kabana. Now let's discuss quickly the way it was done. So every morning, the Kohanim would go up to the Mizbeah, and they would prepare uh, a ma'arakah. A ma'arakah is a, a pyre on top of the Mizbeah. They would take two pieces of wood, and they would place it, and they did that in the afternoon as well. There was three different fires on the Mizbeah. I will review them very quickly. The first fire was used for the Qurban Tamid Shal Ben Shal Boker Shal Shahar and Tamid Shal Ben Harbayim. They would make a second fire. That was used to take coals for the Ketoret. And the third one was nothing, just to fulfill this mitzvah. So this mitzvah that we're talking about was not a functional fire. They didn't put anything on this fire. It was just that fire on the Mizbayah. No Qurban and no Ketoret. But what? As we said, the reasons. Of course, this mitzvah is only Noheget Bezman Shebet HaMikdash Kayam. It only applies to Kohanim, because they're the ones that serve in the Bet HaMikdash. If they didn't put the third Ma'arakah in the Mizbeach, which means, let's say the Kohen put the pyre for the Korban Tamid, and he put the pyre for the Ketoret, but he didn't put the third one. And he said to himself, we don't need it, what do you need it for? It's, there's nothing doing. No, this is Lashem Shemaim, this fire. This fire is not put for any other reason but to fulfill the mitzvah of Esh Tamid Tukad. And if he doesn't put the third pyre on the Mizbeah, he transgresses this mitzvah. Baruch we continue our study of the Tariyag Mitzvot. We are up to Mitzvah number 133. And that is a negative commandment, which is in Parashat Sab. And the negative commandment is that the we are not allowed to extinguish the fire from the Mizbeah. Yesterday we learned the positive commandment, where it said, That's the positive commandment to keep the fire burning. But the Torah also says, Lo tichbeh. Lo tichbeh means do not extinguish, which is a negative commandment. Now, some of the laws 
that apply if somebody, let's say a Kohen, went up to the Mizbeah and took a coal and he brought it off the Mizbeah, even though it's now off the Mizbeah and he extinguished it, he still transgresses, which means it's not only forbidden to extinguish it on the Mizbeah, but even if he removed it. However, there are two exceptions. If, let's say, he removed coals in the pan in order to use it for the ketoret, once he puts it in the pan, it's not considered coals from the Mizbeah anymore. It's considered coals for the Ketoret, and therefore there's no transgression. Or let's say, he went in order to take a fire for the Menorah. Once you take the coal for the Menorah, that's not considered anymore Ish Mizbeah, it's Ish Menorah, and there's no transgression if indeed they actually extinguish it. Now, this Halakha obviously applies only when there's a Beit HaMikdash, it applies to male and female alike, even in Yisrael, you don't have to be a Kohen, even if Yisrael extinguishes the fire from the Mizbeah, he transgresses, even if it's one coal, the law is, he gets Malkut, he gets lashes, that is a very interesting subject here, if there's an Isur, to extinguish the fire from the Mizbeah, we can ask, how did they transport the Mishkan in the Midbar. You see, in the Midbar, they had a Mishkan, but it was a mobile uh, uh, Mikdash, and they would have to take it from place to place. And the Torah tells us that when they took it apart, the language of the Pasuk says, V'dishinu etamizbeyach. Now what is that word, V'dishinu etamizbeyach? So here we have a fantastic mahluket between two Tanaim. This has come from the Sifra in Vayikra, Vav Vav. Rabbi Shimon says, Vidishinu, like it normally means. And they sweep the Mizbeah. They clean the Mizbeah. They want to travel. So what do you do? Vidishinu with the Mizbeah. They had to take all the coals off. That means, according to Rabbi Shimon, they actually extinguished the coals from the Mizbeah when they were traveling. However, Rabbi Yuda argues, and he says, Haz Shalom. They actually kept the fire on the Mizbeah and they just covered it with a keli. And when they carried it in the Midbar, the fire was actually on the Mizbeah. How does he learn the word Vidishinu? He learns the word Vidishinu not to sweep, but Melashon Dashen. Dashen means to fat. That they would make sure to put extra fat on the Mizbeah to keep the fire burning when they were traveling. So over here we have a fantastic Malokit. Did they extinguish it or not? The question is, according to the Bishamon, what does he do with this mitzvah? The Torah says, And it sounds like no matter when. So how did, according to the Bishamon, they extinguished it when they traveled? So over here, there's a beautiful explanation based on the opinion of the Rash, who explains the Tosefta with the interpretation of the Briskarov. The Rash comes along and says that even according to the Bishamon, they sweep the Mizbeah, but they kept the coals that they took from the Mizbeah in a special pan, and they didn't extinguish them. So he comes along and he says the briskar up like this. There's two mitzvot according to the Ramban when it comes to cleaning the Mizbeah, or, or this law of Lotichbe. One is that the Kohanim have to make sure that the fire is always on the Mizbeah. That's the obligation. Like managers, from time to time, they have to look at the mizbeah to make sure the fire is still there. That's one mitzvah. There's another mitzvah that says that when you take a coal from the mizbeah, you cannot extinguish it. 
So the Briska Rav says, according to the Bishimon, only one of the two mitzvot apply when they were traveling. And that is a cold that's taken off the mitzvah must remain lit. But the Kohanim do not have to worry to keep the mitzvah lit because the Pasuk says, Vidishinu. And according to the Bihuda, he says, both laws apply. That not only uh, can you extinguish them, but you actually, actually have to keep the coals <coughs> on the mitzvah when they were traveling. So again, according to the Bishimon, it's true when they were traveling, the Kohanim are not obligated to be doeg that the Mizbeah has coals on it. As a matter of fact, they have to actually sweep it. But they're still not allowed to take the coals off. The ones that they removed, they cannot extinguish. They have to keep lit. That's the Mahmoud between the Bishimon and the Biuda. As we said yesterday, the purpose for this is, is because a human being has inner fire inside of him. In order to keep the balance of his fire uh, in check, not too high, which will cause him to get fever, and not too low, which will cause him to be inactive. So we put fire on the mizbeh and we keep it lit, which obviously will have an impact on the balance of the human being. Baruch Studying the Tariyag Mitzvot, we're up to number 134, and that's the mitzvah to eat the remainder of the menachot. It's mitzvah ta'aseh, it's in parashat sav. The mitzvah is on the Kohanim, that after they take the comets from the Minha and place it on the Mizbeach, so they must eat the leftovers. Shine'emar, as it says, That's in Perik Vav, Pasuk Tet. The shortage of the Mizvah is, that's the respect for the Korban, that it should be eaten by the ones that serve and brought the Korban itself, especially that a lot of times it springs kapara, and by giving the tamid hakam a uh, portion to eat, so that could serve <coughs> as kapara in itself. Now, some of the laws regarding this mitzvah. There is a rule that says, kol menachot nikmatsim. All menachot have a komitz, which is a part that's separated and placed on the mitzvah. Chutz zichre kehuna. Unless... It is a minha of a male kohen. The law of any type of minha that's brought by a male kohen is kalil toktav. The entire minha goes on the mizbeah. Examples of that would be minhat chinuch. That's the minha that the kohen. That's the minha that the kohen brings on his inauguration day. Or the minhat habitin, that's the daily minha that the Kohen Gadol brings. Or for that matter, a minhat Kohen Choteh. Let's say a, a Kohen made a sin, and he has to bring a minhat Choteh. Or for that matter, he brings a minhat Nedaba. Anytime a Kohen, for whatever reason, brings a minha, whatever brand of minha it is, it's burnt completely and entirely on the Mizbeah, and there is no so therefore this mitzvah obviously does not apply to those type of menachot. However, it should be pointed out, a kohenet, female kohen, and she has to bring a mincha, her mincha is nikmetzit, and the leftovers are eaten. It's clear that this mitzvah only applies bizman abayit, when there's a beta mikdash, it only applies to zikhre kehuna, male kohen, you could say the ones that eat the mincha. If the kohen does not eat the remainder of a mincha, 
He has transgressed this mitzvah and he was mevatel a mitzvah at Aseh. We are learning another mitzvah, mitzvah number 135, and that is Shelo la'asot shi'areh menachot hametz. That the remainder of the minha, which we learned in the last mitzvah, which is eaten by the Kohanim, they have to see to it that their portion does not become hametz. It's a negative commandment, and it's in Parashat Sav. The source pasuk is lo te'afeh hametz, Halkam natati ota me'ishai, perek vav, pasuk yud. And the Mishnah says in Menachot, page nunhe, v'chayavim al afiyata hametz. That if the Kohen takes his remnants and he bakes it, and he makes hametz out of it, he transgressed and he sued. It must be eaten, like the pasuk said, matzot te'achel. He must eat it only as matzot, and he must be careful that it does not become hametz. Now, the law is that let's say it became hametz already, and then he adds or makes it hametz again. That's called mehametz, ahar mehametz. Hayav, he'll be guilty. Furthermore, the Torah says that only if the Kohen is mehametz, a minha that's keshira. But if the minha, for whatever reason, became pesula, so then the rule is mehametz minha pesula, Patur. Furthermore, if let's say he brought the comets on the Mizbeach, and as he's bringing the comets on the Mizbeach, on the Mizbeach he made it Hametz. In that case, Enoloke. So the Pasuk says, Ashid takribu lahashem, kebar kirba. That already once they put it on the Mizbeach, in this part of the Minha, at least the comets, is not subject to the Isur. This law applies only in the times of the Bet HaMikdash. It does apply to male and female as well. Not only Kohanim. That means even if Israel took the remnants of what the Kohen is supposed to eat and he baked it and turned it into Hametz, he transgressed this negative commandment. It's a lav sheyesh bo ma'aseh and therefore be hayav malkut. Now, there is a question over here that can be raised. We learned earlier in the Sefer HaKinuch that there's two items that the Torah forbids us to put on the Mizbeach or in the Minha, and that is Seor and Devash. That is any leavening agent and honey. And if you remember, we learned the reasons for this. The Torah does not want us to have Seor, because Seor reminds us of two things. Number one, Ga'ava, because the Seor is something that becomes bloated, it bloats the dough, it causes the dough to become swelled, and it reminds us of laziness, because how does a dough become hametz? By doing nothing. Therefore, the Torah is telling us that the Torah is against these two midot, ga'ava and atzlut. If you remember, the reason we said why we're not allowed to add vash into the minha is because that represents the ta'avot, the lust and desire, sweet things, good foods. And the Torah is coming to teach you just eat what you need to eat. Don't go after the motarot, don't go after the extras. So now that we know the reasons of these two mitzvot, we might be able to understand a halakha. The halakha says that while you're not allowed to make the leftovers of the minha hametz, so that means you would not be able to add a leavening agent into it, but you're allowed to add honey. The question is, why in the shi'areh minha do we allow to add honey, but we do not allow to add seor or hametz? They're both banned on the mizbeach, so why does it change when it comes to the Shia and the Minha? The explanation might be simple. 
that seor, there's never a time that ga'ava and laziness can be tolerated. So therefore, we ban it completely. Mashi'en ken, when a person is eating seudat mitzvah, when a person is eating l'shem shamayim, so there's nothing wrong with onig. Don't we have onig Shabbat? We eat delectable foods? Nobody has any problem with that. Why? Sodik mitzvah. There cannot be any damage. The Torah is just worried about eating voluntary things that are not necessary. So therefore, when the Kohen is eating his shiarim and ha, that's a mitzvah. So therefore, there would be no ban in adding honey to it because that type of sweetness and that type of uh, 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 taste or sweet taste will not bring the person to Hasrab to the Yetzirara because he's osik with mitzvah. And therefore, the Torah is telling you, well, it's not proper to indulge outside of mitzvah, but during an achilat mitzvah, there would be no problem. Again, so though there might not be practical, physical applicability to these mitzvot, but the moral of the story still applies today. The Torah is reminding us to keep away from hametz anytime it comes to the service. Hametz would be the ga'ava and the atzlut, and that's why we are not allowed, the Kohen or anybody, to turn the shiarim and ha into hametz. <laughs> we continue the study of the Tariyak Mitzvot. And we're up to number 136. It's a positive commandment in Parashat Saab. And that is the mitzvah for a Kohen Gadol to bring a minha on a daily basis. The minha is called Minhat Habite Kohen Gadol or Minhat Kohen Mashiach. The source pasuk ze korban aharon ubanav asher yakribu lahashem. That's again in Perek Vav pasuk yud gimal. Now, why does the kohen gadol have to bring a special minha exclusively every single day? Says the chinuch lefisha kohen gadol who was shaliach ben Yisrael laavihem shebashamayim. He's our agent. Kelomar. It is the Kohen Gadol that actually prays for us. Through the Kohen Gadol's prayers and through his service, we get kapara. Fellow like this that has such responsibility to Klai Yisrael, it's worthy for him to have his own exclusive korban. No different than the sibur that has their korban, which is Tamid Shel Shahar and Tamid Shel Ben Arbaim. So the Minhat Habitin says the Hinuch is like the Kohen's private korban Tamid that's brought in the morning and in the afternoon. Now, why does it have to be? Private, why can it be a korban that's brought as a sibur? Why does it have to be his? You can't compare somebody's bringing something that's his and only his makes a bigger influence on the person than if somebody's bringing something in a partnership. And again, because of the Kohen Gadol's high role, so therefore the Torah wants to arouse him to bring an own, his own mincha in order uh, to bring him 
to the level of understanding what his important job is. Now, there are many, many rules in bringing this korban or this minha. The chinuch goes through several of them. I will review them quickly. Number one, the Kohen Gadol must bring an isaron of kemah. That's flour. And then he takes a special measuring uh, vessel that had in the Beit HaMikdash, and he would divide it. So now you would have hasi isaron and hasi isaron. Again, because half of it was brought in the morning and half of it was brought in the afternoon. Now what does he do? After he divides the flour in half, he brings three lugin of shemen, uh, three log of shemen, and he mixes uh, the uh, flour and he also adds uh, water, hot water. And now from each of the hasi isaron, that he made, obviously he made it into a dough, he kneads it into six halot. So therefore, he's going to have six loaves in the morning and six loaves in the afternoon. Now, the three lugin of oil that he took, he divides it into ribi'iyot. There are four ribi'iyot in the log. So basically, he divides it into 12 ribi'iyot one ribi'it of shemen per halah. Now, after he makes the halah, he puts it in the pan, in the mahabat, with some oil, and they cook it. After that, he takes the six, because now we're talking about only in the morning, and he divides the six in half. It's a whole process. And now you have 12 pieces. The Torah always says that whenever you have a minha, fatot ota. Exactly, you have 12 halves. So you have to cut it up. Now, after he takes it, uh, he brings uh, the 12 halves in the morning. With it comes a kometz. That's a smidget of libona, of frankincense. He takes the six half loaves in the afternoon, cuts them in half, some more libona, and brings it as well. This goes on the Mizbeach completely. If you remember, we learned in yesterday's mitzvah that whenever a Kohen brings a minha, there is no komets. Kalil toktal. The whole minha goes on the Mizbeach. Now, this mitzvah can only apply to Zman Bet HaMikdash and can only apply to a Kohen Gadol. Uh, the Hinuch, in this case over here, says a Hindush that it's considered one mitzvah. That even though he's bringing it half in the morning and half in the afternoon, the mitzvah achat yachashev. And even according to the Ramban, that says that the tamid shel shachar and the tamid shel ben arbaim is two mitzvot, the Ramban will agree here that the minhat kohen gadol, habitin, is considered one mitzvah. Now there is a big question that they ask on the Chinuch, which is actually following Shittat HaRambam. The Chinuch over here said a big Chidush. Instead of just making 12 loaves and bringing six of them in the morning and then uh, six of them in the afternoon, he actually says that you take these loaves and you split them. So now the problem is that Avad asks, that you're splitting them, not with a measuring stick. You're just splitting it by vision, by uh, guesstimation. 
So how are you sure that you're actually going to bring half? So therefore he doesn't understand it like that. He understands it that just make, uh, 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 you know, the 12 loaves and then bring six of them in the morning and six of them in the afternoon. Instead of taking the loaves and actually dividing them in, in half, so therefore he understands that it's going to be a problem because they're not going to be perfectly even. Nonetheless, they bring a proof of Harambam from the Gemara Menachot on that Pezayin where it actually says explicitly, How do you divide the halot? The Gemara has a question. Do you do it with your hand or with a vessel? But it clearly says with that Gemara, you were dividing and you were cutting them in half. So you have to say that according to Rambam, they weren't so makpid if it's going to be, you know, a little off or not. The Torah was not given to angels, therefore it's done in such a way. Nonetheless, this is a positive commandment. It's done every day, and it's exclusively done to the Kohen Gadosh. Will we instate a Kohen Gadol, and this Kurban, this Mincha, will be brought again on a daily basis. So we're learning um, the Mitzvah of the day. We're at 137. And that is that a Mincha that is brought by a Kohen is not eaten like ordinary Minahot. It's a negative commandment. It is in Parashat Sab, source pasuk, v'chol minhat kohen kalil tehiyeh lo ta'achil. And all minahot that are brought by male kohanim, kalil tehiyeh, it is totally <coughs> burnt on the mizbeah. It is not eaten. That's in Perek Vav uh, Zion. The shortage of this mitzvah, why specifically a kohen's uh, korban is not uh, is not eaten. So says the Chinuch, Ki kavanata korban le'orer lev hamakriv oto. Because the purpose of the korban is to arouse a certain feeling in the one that's sacrificing it. V'im yochad ha'kohen minhato, if the kohen is going to eat his own minha, yit'orer libo alea, lo yit'orer libo alea yafeh. He's not going to get the same Feeling shedome be'enav ke ofe patlet sorko ve'ochlo. It's going to look like he's eating a piece of bread. Which means if the Kohen himself, although he gets to eat other people's korbanot, but his own, it'll look like he's just preparing a piece, of, a piece of toast, a piece of matzah. And therefore it's not going to have the same effect on him that he's bringing a, a menhaf, a kapara, for whatever reason it is. So therefore he doesn't eat it. The mitzvah, as we learned this a few times already, all menahot are normally nikmatzot. Nikmatzot means we take the comets and we put that on the mezbeah, except for menahot of male kohanim. This applies, obviously, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. It applies uh, to zikharim and nekevot. Zikharim and nekevot, meaning if they ate, even if a nekevah ate from the menahot of kohen, for that matter, anybody that eats from Menchav or Kohen is going to transgress this. And if they ate a Kezayit, they're going to get uh, Malkut. Now, just a little uh, Musar from this mitzvah. That when a person uh, brings something that's uh, precious, he gives something that is precious to him, and he gives it to God, so that sacrifice brings him closer to God. That's why Rabbi Hirsch explains the word Korban 
comes from the Lashon Karov, that we become close to God when we bring him a, an animal that's worth certain money, so we're giving a piece of ourselves or our assets to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, the Maharal explained this on the Mishnah that said, Lefum Sa'ara Agra, <clears throat> that what's the reward when a person does something with Sa'ar, with agony or with difficulty? The reward is he gets closeness, he gets love. Lefum Sa'ara Ahava, it brings the person to love because he toiled for it. So therefore, when a person brings a um, korban, Maimonides writes, and I quote, a uh, beautiful uh, harambam, me'achar shekulan kesherin lemenachot, everything is kasher for menachot, kedeh lidah yafeh she'en lemal lemenu be'eshvav, ahoy shelosin zikot asmi yachuf yisuara, ohare ne'emar, Hevel, when he brought his korban, he brought from the choice pieces. And the pasuk says, God accepted Hevel's korban Whenever you're bringing something for God, it's always better to give the best. Even if you're building a bet keneset, a Bet Knesset, Rambam writes, has to be more beautiful than where you live. Uh, when you're feeding a hungry person, given from the best foods, and the sweetest food, when you're dressing somebody that doesn't have any clothes, give them the best clothes. Not like some people who give them the old clothes. Give them the new clothes, give them the nice Higdish tavar, when you're being magdish something to the Beit HaMikdash, yagdish mena yafeh, shebene chasav. And that's the point over here, that when a person, although he can get away with giving the minimum, but when he does it in the right way, so ultimately Rambam's Lashon is, uh, and I quote, sharotzel l'skot atzmo, if a person wants to merit, or the zakot atzmo, to purify himself, yachuf yitzro hara, and to subjugate his evil inclination, uh, let him open his hand, so again, that's a very important lesson in my mind. Although you can get away with giving the, you know, the inferior stuff, but if somebody wants to break his yetzerara, and he wants to mezakeh uh, uh, himself, to purify and merit himself, be meritorious, one should try to always give from the best. And the biggest proof of that is Cain and Hevel. In this case over here, we don't want the Quran to think that he's just eating breakfast. So therefore, when he brings his korban, it stays on the Mizbeach, uh, especially or exclusively when this is talking we about. We continue our study of the Tariyag Mitzvot. And we are up to Mitzvah 138. That is Mitzvah Maaseh Hatat. It's a positive commandment, and it's in Parashat Sav. The Pasuk says, Zo Torah Hatat, That's in Perek Vav, Pasuk Yudhet. Now, again, the Chinuch over here, in great humility, tries to explain to us the rationale behind Korbanot. Not only the Hatat, but Korbanot in general. I'd like to quote you his Lashon. 
And he says, אין לנו ליגע מחשבותינו אחר שורשי עניינים אלה. We shouldn't uh, trouble our brains to try to uh, figure out the uh, roots of these type of things. שאין להם חקר. It's beyond our comprehension. ואין לנו בשכל הקנוי בזה קניין. Our brains cannot really make an acquisition on these type of things. He says maybe אחד מעיר, maybe one rabbi in the city, חכם מקובל יהיה. He has to be a חכם and he has to be a מקובל שיזכה לדעת קצת ראשי דברים מן העניין. And even the hakam, mehad me'ir mekubal, maybe will only figure out an edge in the tip of, the, uh, of this mitzvah. So he concedes and says, don't try to figure out the sword of korbanot. Now there's a fantastic mahloket between the Ramban, Nachmanides, and Harambam in the minyana mitzvot. The Ramban does not count each korban as a separate mitzvah. Therefore, you have hatat, and you have asham, and you have olah, and you have shalamim. According to Ramban, that's all considered one mitzvah. It's called ma'asea korbanot. Whereas the Rambam holds that each korban is counted as a separate mitzvah. The Hinuch, of course, committed himself to the approach of Harambam, and therefore he counts the hatat separately. And then he tries to, he doesn't try, he actually explains to us some of the dinah uh, mitzvah. Uh, the korban hatat can come from five different types of animals. Kevasim, which would be sheep, izim would be goats, bakar, which would be cattle, whether they're gedolim or ketanim, male or female, depending on which type of hatat it is. And hatat is also brought from birds, torim and bnei yonah, turtle doves, as well as uh, regular yonot doves. There are different types of korban hatat. Some are called hatat sibur. That's the public brings a korban hatat. For example, the goats that are brought on Nosh Chodesh or on the holidays, pare alem davar shel sibur, seire avodah you have the goats that are brought on Yom Kippur, Seir Pinimi, Shal Yom Kippurim. You have certain korban hatats that are brought on the outer mizbayah. Certain are brought on the inner mizbayah. The one that's brought on the outer mizbayah is called, rightfully so, hatat hitzonit. The blood is put on the mizbayah and the meat is eaten by the kohanim. The hatat pinimit, the blood is brought in the hechal or on the parochet. On Mizbah HaSahab, they sprinkle the blood, and the meat is not eaten. The meat of a hatat pinimit is taken outside of Yerushalayim and burnt. We have also the special parts of the hatat that go on the Mizbayah. That's called the imurim. Imurim hatat include the fats. The fats that are on the kerev, which is the stomach, the kidneys, and the fat that's around them. Also, what's called yoteret kaved. Uh, when they have a sheep as a korban hatat, besides the fats that I just mentioned, they also take the aliyah. The aliyah is the, the fat, the tail, which is a very, very choice piece of meat. That goes on the mezbeah as well, as well as the 
shidra, the spine and the uh, uh, the discs over there. Now this mitzvah obviously only applies with man abayit at the time of the Beit Hamikdash. It applies to kohanim that are males. A kohen she'avar velo asa hatat kamishpato. If a kohen does not follow the rules of the hatat, bitel mitzvah aseh zeh. He has transgressed this mitzvah. Today, unfortunately, we do not have a Beit HaMikdash. The Manish High writes that today if a person will read Parashat Hatat and read the Mishnayot or read the Pesukim of Korban Hatat, so it's as if, it's as if he uh, has brought the Korban. And we see throughout the Gemara that many of the rabbis, when they committed an unintentional sin, they designated some money, or they wrote in their ledger that when the Beit HaMikdash is going to be rebuilt, they're going to bring a Qurban Hatat. So it seems that whatever transgressions that we have, we're going to have to make good when the Beit HaMikdash is going to be built. But in the meantime, since we don't have the actual uh, uh, physical bringing of the Qurban, we must rely on our lip service, and therefore we should read the uh, Qurbanot and the Mishnah regarding the Hatat from time to time. Baruch Today we continue the study of the Tariyag Mitzvot. We're up to Mitzvah number 139. And that is the negative commandment not to eat from the meat of a Qurban Hatat that is done inside. There's two types of Hataot. One Hatat is called Hatat Pinimit. And as we learned, the meat is placed on the Mizbeach and uh, nothing is eaten by the Kohanim. The rest of the animal is taken outside of Yerushalayim and is burnt. We know this from the Pasuk that says, Vechol hatat asher yuba midama el oil mo'ed lechaper bakodesh lo te'achel ba'esh tesaref. That any korban hatat that its blood is brought inside into oil mo'ed in order to bring kapara, it is not eaten, it is indeed burnt. And the Sifra's language is ba'esh tesaref, kol shu ta'un serefa, anything that is. Uh, uh, deemed to be burnt by the Torah, so there's a negative commandment if the Kohen eats it. <coughs> that is the Pasuk in Peregvav, Pasuk Chaf Gimal. Now, just some of the laws regarding this mitzvah. The Hanuk tells us that, first of all, to give an explanation for these mitzvot, he does not. He says these are piratim, these are details of the larger korban hatat, and we just give a reason for the hatat. We don't give a reason for the details. The reason is, because that's the way the boreh wants us to function. And he writes that some of the laws would be that let's say you have dam hatat, the blood of a hatat, that's the hatat that's brought on the outer mizbeach. Let's say some of its uh, blood or meat ended up inside oil mo'ed. So then it becomes pasul. And only if it enters the oil mo'ed through the gates of oil mo'ed, as the pasuk says, asher yuva et dama. It only is going to be pasul if it comes derech bi'ah. Furthermore, let's say you have a hatat, like we're talking about today, that its blood is sprinkled on the inner mizbeach, that they brought its blood into the Kodesh Kodashim, meaning even more inner than it should be. So the Torah comes along and says that that is pasul as well. This mitzvah is no heg, 
uh, only when there's a Beit HaMikdash. Obviously, it applies to all people. That anybody that eats Korban Khatat that the, uh, is brought inside is transgressing this mitzvah lo ta'achel. And if he ate a kezayit, he will be subject to uh, malkut. So that is the mitzvah. Now, Rabotai, since that was a short mitzvah, we will do a second mitzvah today. And that is uh, mitzvah number 140. And that is the mitzvah to bring a korban asham. Um, this mitzvah ta'aseh, of course. Parashat Sal, Torah is clear, Vizot, Torah Ha'asham. Perek Zayin, Pasuk Aleph. Now, if you remember, we did learn the different types of Averot that the Asham atones for. There is just an interesting Ramban here to mention. The Ramban is actually in Vayikra, Perek Pasuk Tedvab. What is the difference, says the Ramban, between a Hatat and an Asham? After all, they're both broad because a person committed a sin. So he says that the word khatat comes from the language that we use in the phrase, la'ahtiha means when a person is aiming for a certain, uh, 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 let's say, uh, destination or a certain mark, and he misses the mark, he misses the, the bullseye. La'ahtiha matara, he's a little off. So he says when a person uh, commits a korban khatat, it's not just a sin. He did it bishogeg. It was a mistake. He, he swayed a little. And the Lashon of the Rambam, he says, that sitiya me'at. He went off a little. He wasn't, uh, he didn't hit the bullseye, let's call it. Whereas when a person commits a sin that's subject to a korban, asham, asham melashon shemama. Shemama means desolation and destruction. Because that comes on great major sins. As we learned, sometimes the Hashem is even brought on intentional sins. And therefore, really, the Ramban writes, a person that commits those type of sins, he should be destroyed from the world. But the Torah says, instead of letting him be Shamem, let him be in Asham, and that'll be Mechaper. So therefore, the Ramban is understanding that there's a more uh, 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 graveness of the sin that's kapar nechpar by uh, Asham than Korban Khatat. Obviously, Korban Asham and all its details. Chinuch does not give reason for details. He says the details, that's the will of the Borei Olam. It only applies Bizman Abayit. It applies only to Kohanim. A Kohen that does not bring the Korban Asham Kemishpato with all its details, he has transgressed this positive commandment. Rabotai, the study of the Tariag Mitzvot, and we are up to Mitzvah number 141. And that is the positive commandment to bring a korban shelamim with all its details. Parashat Sav, we have two pesukim here. One is ve'im zebach shelamim korbanot. That's the beginning of Peregimal. Then it tells you the details. Ve'zot Torah zebach shelamim, which is in Pereg Zayin, and pesukim yir aleph and yud bet. Now, there are different types of shelamim. There's shalme sibur, and there's shalme Yahid. An example of Shalmei Sibur is only one. And that is the Korbanot that are brought on Shavuot. On Shavuot, we bring two kebasim, two sheep, along with two loaves of bread. And of course, it is eaten by the Kohanim. That is the only case of a Korban Shalamim. That is the Sibur. 
And then we have three versions of Shalmei Yahid. The three versions are Shalmei Hagiga, that's on the holiday. The one goes to Yerushalayim, he has to bring Korban Hagiga. Secondly, is Shalmei Toda, that when a person wants to show gratitude to the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so he brings, again, a voluntary Korban, it's not mandatory according to the Hinuch. And of course that comes with the 40 loaves of bread and matzah. Number three, and again the only, the third of three, Korban Yahids of Shilamim, is the Shilamim that a Nazir brings at the end of his count. That is called Shalmeh Nazir, or El Nazir. Now for whatever reason over here, the Chinuch, when he discusses the details of this mitzvah, decides to talk about the breads that come with the Korban Todah. He picked one out of the three, Shalmet Todah, and he talked about the Lechamim. So he says that we have to take a certain amount of flour, Asara Esronim, and from the ten Esronim, we make 30 loaves. We're going to discuss now how each group of these loaves are made. The first 10 are called Ma'afet Tanur. What is Ma'afet Tanur? You take the dough, you put some oil in it, uh, and as a result, you put it in the oven and you bake it. That would be called the conventional baked bread. Ma'afet Tanur. The second 10 loaves are called Rekikin. What is Rekikin? It's the same thing as the first one, it's just that you don't put the oil on it until after you take it out of the oven. They baste it. They take some oil and they put it on the outside. The last 10 is called Murbechet. What is Murbechet? First they take the flour and they boil it. They add water, with, with hot water, obviously. And then they bake it a little. A little baked, and then they deep fry it in oil, almost like a donut. Uh, deep frying, that is called murbeka. Those are the 10 and 10 and 10 ma'afetan, 10 ma'afetanur, 10 rekikin, and 10 murbechet. Now, it's interesting to point out that the hinuch follows the opinion of Harambam, that there is no mandatory obligation to bring a korban todah, even though we learned that there's four people that are in certain situations that have to show gratitude. We learned it in the chapter 107 in Tehillim. Yor dehayam ba'oniyot, those are the people that are on the high seas, or the people that were uh, sick and got healed, or the people that were in the Midbar and found their way back, or people that were in prison and got released. And the, the pasuk over there says, you do that, Hashem hazdo. And they will bring Qurban Harambam holds it's not mandatory. The Pasuk is just giving you good advice to show gratitude. But there is no obligation to bring such a Qurban Toda. It's only a reshut. And one of the proofs that they bring to Harambam is because Harambam holds, based on a sifra, that you're allowed to use Ma'asir Sheni money for Korban Shalamim. Now, if Korban Shalamim was a mandatory obligation, how could you use Ma'asir Shini money? You're not allowed to use Ma'asir Shini money for another obligation. 
Ela, we see that the ma'asir can be used. That must tell me that it is indeed a reshut. Uh, this law, obviously, of the korban shalim only applies when there's a beta mikdash. It applies only to male kohanim. And if the kohen does not bring the shalamim according to all the rules, he has transgressed a positive commandment. We continue the study of the Tariyag Mitzvot. We're up to 142. And that is the negative commandment. That when one brings the Korban Todah, they're not allowed to leave any over after its duration or after its expiration. That's a negative commandment. As the Pasuk says in Parashat Sav, Zayin Tedvav, Lo yaniyah mimenu ad boker. That you're not allowed to leave any leftovers from the korban until the morning. Now, from here we learn, not only by the korban todah, but this is the binyan av, to teach us that all kodashim, all korbanot, that have a duration, an expiration date, so if one leaves it until that point, it becomes notar. Now, notar means it's leftovers, and therefore it's forbidden to eat. Torah does have a fix on this. The fix is that anything that remains past the expiration date, you have to burn it. So this would be considered a classic example of a lav, hanitak la'aseh. That it's a negative commandment that could be fixed by a positive commandment. So therefore there would be no malkut if one actually left over. Now, there is a big hadush in this. We learned previously that korban todah is one of the three types of korban shalamim that individuals bring. We also learned that korban shalamim, generally speaking, has a uh, duration of two days and one night. Let me explain to you what that means. If a person brings the korban on a Monday afternoon, so he has the Monday afternoon, he has Monday night, and he has Tuesday. After Tuesday sunset, then already the korban becomes Notar. However, when it comes to the korban todah, he's only able to eat it the day and that night. I Meaning, if he brings it on Monday, he has Monday afternoon, Monday night, by Tuesday morning it becomes notar. The question is, why did they minimize the expiration by korban todah? Add to the question that it is very challenging to eat the entire todah in such a small amount of time, being that we learned that the korban todah Besides the meat, there's 40 loaves. As we learned in the previous mitzvah, we discussed the different loaves that are brought. Now, how is it possible that you're going to eat 40 loaves, all those meats, and you only have a small amount of time? Odds are that it is going to come to notar. There's a famous answer that's given by the Abarbanel in his commentary, where he says that the purpose of the korban todah is to give gratitude to God when a person is saved from, let's say, a dangerous situation. As we learned in chapter 107 in Tehillim, that when a person is saved from God from a precarious situation, he has to give praise to God, he has to give the thanks to God, the glory belongs to Kadosh Baruch Hu. And it says in that same chapter, which David Amalek is saying that when you have gratitude, it's better to do it in public. It's better to do it with a lot of people. Bikal am 
in a congregation. So therefore, since it is almost impossible for one person to finish the whole Qurban Todah, likely what's going to happen is he's going to have to invite his friends and his community in order to help him finish the Qurban. So therefore, by making a small time, a small window to eat it, that forces him to invite more people. And that forces the situation where the uh, todah, the gratitude, is going to be done, bipirsum, it's going to be done in a public way. So that's the Torah's way of forcing a public hoda'ah. Because now you have many people that will eat it, and therefore they will not come to notah. They'll have a seudat mitzvah, like we call it today, they call seudat hoda'ah, Come, my friends, come, my uh, comrades, and we'll sit and enjoy. And he can tell the story over to all of them why he's making the sauda, and therefore it fulfills the pasuk. With this, we can understand a minhag that Rabbeinu Bahya brings in Vayikra, in Perek Vav, Pasuk Bet. He's mehadesh, a tremendous hadush. He says that when the time of the Bet the Mikdash was around, the custom was that they used to bring from the Qurban Todah, and they used to give it to Simhat Hatan Bekala. That would be the uh, Saudah that they would eat at the weddings. Where does Abinu Bahya learn this Minhag from? Pasuk in Yirmiyah, chapter 33, Pasuk Yud Aleph, a Pasuk that everybody knows, but they only know the beginning of the Pasuk, they don't know the end of the Pasuk. It says, Kol uh, Sason, Vekol simha, kol hatan, vekol kala. Okay, that's where we stop. But the pasuk continues. Kol omrim hodu et Hashem sebaot kito v'Hashem ki le'olam hasto mivi'im toda bet Hashem. The end of the pasuk talks about a person that gives gratitude to God and brings a korban toda to God. From here, Rabbeinu Bahaya says that's the source where when you used to go to weddings, on the table was what? Qurban Todah food. Well, now we understand why. Because at a wedding, you have a lot of people. And therefore, what better place in a public setting to bring the Qurban Todah in order to show gratitude. So therefore, it explains the minhag. I want to explain it a little uh, different, but it's a great lesson as well. That when a person gets married, one of the fundamentals of marriage is to not to take anything for granted. Nothing is coming to you. Sometimes a couple gets married and already is thinking, what is she obligated to do for me? And therefore, they go into the marriage on the wrong foot. Nothing is coming to you. Everything that happens, that is done by the spouse, has to be taken with great consideration and great gratitude. And therefore, what better meal, what better uh, 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 menu to serve at a wedding than the menu of Akarata Tov, of a Korban Todah? That reminds the couple that are getting married, we don't take anything for granted to be makir tov for every hesed, as minor or as major as it is. When a person starts his marriage with hudula Hashem ki tov, has gratitude to God, so then already, not only is the bet Hashem benefiting, but the bayit Israel benefits as well from korban toda. So that could be another reason why we have the custom today. We don't have Qurban Todah, but gratitude still applies today, of course. Not in the Qurban sense, but in the, uh, in, the, in the real sense of showing gratitude. And therefore, today we still have the Minhag to make Birkata Gomel in situations where a person was relieved from a precarious situation. And 
in certain situations, they even are required or uh, uh, advised to make a su'uda and still to bring their friends while they're eating regular food and not korban food, but it's still advisable to publicize the miracles of Akadosh Baruch Hu and again to give him todah. Amen amen. Tariyag Mitzvot, Mitzvah number 143. And that's the Mitzvah to burn the notar of the Kodashim, which is the remaining meat that was not eaten after its expiration must be burnt. It's a positive commandment, Parashat Saab. As the Pasuk says, V'hanotar lebesar hazabah v'yom ha-shilishi <clears throat> which is Pasuk Perik Zayin, Pasuk Yud Zayin. Now what would be the reason why that after the expiration date of a Qurban, that you can't eat it anymore, why does the Torah say you have to burn it? So the Chinuch over here gives a beautiful explanation and he says, <laughs> which means it is the way of meat after a certain amount of time since it is perishable, to deteriorate. And it comes to decay. Therefore, in order to elevate the status of Qurban, we were commanded to burn it immediately and to get rid of it. We don't want a person to wait until he becomes disgusted with this rancid or spoiled meat. And therefore, uh, and it starts to have a bad smell. And therefore the Torah says, so you don't come to that level of degrading Kadashim, where it becomes uh, perishable and it becomes decayed, so then we're going to destroy it. The way if you want to destroy something in the most, uh, 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 you know, strongest sense, who ish? That's through fire. Yoter menapirur vizirur laruah, which means uh, fire is the ultimate way of destroying something from the world, more than just throwing it into the water or, let's say, uh, spreading it through the wind. And then he comes along and says that there is. Now, how can this teach you betahon? So he comes along and it says, Telling you that we don't want you to hoard your food so much. Why does a person hoard his food? Because he's worried what's going to be for tomorrow. And therefore, the Torah is coming to say, no, that after a certain point, you got to get rid of the food. And you don't have to worry. Even Besar Kodesh, the Torah is telling you, after a certain point, you got to throw it away. And don't benefit from it. Don't give it to anybody. Not you and not an animal. And that teaches a person, that a person has to be willing to be a little more, have betahon in God, and not worry about what's going to be for tomorrow. Now some of them it's vote that apply to this. One law is that not only if a korban reaches an expiration date, you have to burn it, but a korban that becomes pasul as well, uh, or it becomes pigul, one has to burn it without a doubt. If let's say you have a safik on this piece of meat, is it pasul or not? Then the law is te'ubar surato. 
you wait until it uh, loses its uh, uh, image, which means it spoils on its own, and after that, it is burnt. The Hinuch then tells us an interesting law. Let's say a person found meat in the Azara. You found a piece of meat in the Azara, a bone, a full limb, or a full piece of meat. You have to assume that it's a Korban Ola. If you found a piece of meat, small pieces of meat, you have to assume it's a Korban Hatat. If you found pieces of meat scattered in Yerushalayim, you have to assume that it's a Korban Shalamim. Okay, now that you assume all these things, what do you do with the piece of meat? Well, you have to also assume that maybe it has reached the time of expiration. And therefore the law is, you just wait until they lose their image, and then you bring them to the Beta Serefa, and you have to burn it because maybe it is indeed Notar. Notar is only burnt during the day, not at night. This mitzvah is no hegel, obviously in the times of the Beta Megdash, it applies only to the male Kohanim, a Kohen that transgressed and did not burn Notar, he has transgressed a positive commandment and he has also transgressed a negative commandment that says, Lototiru Memenu. There is no Malkut on this over here because this is considered a lav she'en bo ma'aseh. By leaving the Korban and not burning it, you're being passive. Therefore, the way you transgress it is by doing an inaction, and therefore, there is no Malkut. So again, <clears throat> this is the law of Sirifat Notar. Two reasons, as we said. Number one, in order that we should not come to degrade the Basar of Kodashim by seeing it smell and become spoiled, therefore, Torah says, get rid of it. And number two, to come and teach you that you don't have to hoard your food. At a certain point, you have to be willing to have Pitahon in God that the next round of food is on the way. Okay, Rabotai, we continue our study of the Tariyag Mitzvot, and we are up to number 144. And that is the negative commandment in Parashat Sab not to eat pigul. Now, what is pigul? Pigul is a korban that the Kohen, who was bringing the korban, had a machshava, a thought that invalidates the korban. He had this thought either at the time that he was slaughtering the korban or at the time that he was doing one of the services. What is considered an invalidating thought? Let's say he decided in his brain that he wants to eat from this korban after its time expires. We know every korban has an expiration and he intends to eat it after the expiration. Or his intention is that he wants to bring the parts that belong on the mizbeach also after the expiration, after it becomes notab. So again, whether it's his personal eating out of the time or the eating of the mizbeach out of the time, whether it's achilat adam or achilat gavoa, either one, that machshaba renders the korban pigul. Pasuk is in perek zayin pasuk yotchet ve'im he'achol ye'achel ve'chule ve'anefesh ha'ochelet memenu avona yisav. He eats from it, so then of course he bears his sin. The shoresh of this mitzvah, the Rab writes, The purpose of the Qurban is to atone. And atonement begins in the brain. Sin begins with a bad thought. And therefore, the whole reason why he's bringing a Qurban 
is to rectify his bad thought, the bad, the crooked thought process. So therefore, uh, it's re- it, it's rightfully so that a bad thought during the Qurban will render it pasul. Instead of uh, rendering his thoughts in a straight way, he's thinking in a crooked way. The Qurban obviously does not serve its function, so therefore it becomes pasul. Now just some of the mitzvot and the laws surrounding pigul. The law is that there is a chayuf karet if somebody, if the Kohen eats this type of korban that's called pigul. However, it is only on the parts uh, of the korban that are put on the mizbeach or the parts that are eaten. However, the rule is en pigul al hamatir. I need to explain that rule because it's pivotal to the laws of uh, pigul. What does that mean? Let's say a person ate a kezayit of blood from a korban that became pigul. There's no chayuf karet from the pigul at least because blood is a matir. It is the blood, the sprinkling that allows you now to put the meat on the mizbeach. It, the blood sprinkle allows you to eat the part that you want. So therefore, the karet of pigul does not apply to matir. It only applies to things that are put on the mizbeach, not a matir. I'll give you another example. Of course, you would get malkut for eating the blood. It goes without saying. A minha, for example. Let's say you have a minha that became pigul. If a person ate a kezayit from the remnants of the minha, of course, we'd be chayav mishum pigul. But let's say it's a kezayit from the comets. The comets is a matir, because it is the comets that allows you to put, to eat the shirayim. So therefore, there's no pigul on a matir. Similarly speaking, the levona that's on the lechem hapanim. The person, let's say, there was pigul on that, for example. The law is, since the levona is a matir, there would not be a pigul. Furthermore, there's no pigul biyayin of nesachim, and there's no pigul on minachot that are totally burnt on the mizbeach. This mitzvah is noheg, bizman abayit, obviously at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, it applies to male and female alike, even if you're not a kohen. If you ate from a korban that was rendered pigul, even in Yisrael, of course he will bring a hatat kivu'ah. The Rav Hirsch just gives a nice idea, uh, some of the philosophy behind pigul, if we may say. He says that, what is a guy who's doing pigul basically doing? The pigul guy is making a separation between the shechita and the time of eating. And when you bring a korban hatat especially, we want the shechita and the eating to be close to each other. We don't want you to separate it. Why? He says the concept of the shaitab, the korban, represents slaughtering the evil. After all, what causes you to bring a korban hatat? He did something wrong. So therefore, you want to get rid of the, of, of, of the sin. You want to get rid of the, the bad part. But then you want to enter into your physical life, kiddushah, where there was a vacuum. That's the eating of the korban. The eating of the korban represents now elevating the physicality. So there's a direct connection between like the surmerah asetov. So the one that makes pigul is making a separation. He's breaking the link between shechita and achila. He's, 
you know, making a longer gap between them, and therefore it runs against the whole philosophy of what a korban is trying to accomplish. You cannot separate those two. Nonetheless, we see over here another lesson, how important or how significant mahshavota. A person might come along and say, what do I care? It was in, it was in my brain. I slaughtered everything right. I put the blood on the Mizbeah correctly. I did everything kadat v'kadin. Well, this is, I was just thinking something. But from here we see that thoughts matter, especially when it comes to avodat Hashem. Mahshava is an integral part to the extent that if a thought was rendered at the time of a korban, it can actually bring the person to isur karet, if he ultimately acts on that thought and eats the korban of pigul. All right, Rabotai, we continue our study of the Tariyag Mitzvot, and we're up to number 145. And that is negative commandment. We're not allowed to eat a basar, the meat of korbanot that became tameh. The pasuk says, It's Perek Zayin, Pasuk Yutet. Obviously, the Chinuch explains the reason why we cannot eat korbanot that became tameh, mimaalat korban shelo leochlo kiim betahara ubgufnaki. We have to treat the korban, obviously, uh, very special because of its stature, and therefore part of its kavod is to make sure to eat it when it is pure and when the person himself also is pure. Now let's discuss some of the laws that surround this mitzvah. We're discussing over here only tum'ah de oraita, which means where the meat became uh, 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 connected to a type of tum'ah that is from the Torah. However, because of tum'ah midibrehem, meaning rabbinical tum'ah, there is no malkut. In such a case, it's only makat mardut midrabbanan. This mitzvah is no heget, Obviously, when there's a Bet HaMikdash, it applies to male and female alike. If somebody ate a korban uh, that was tamer, a kezayid b'mezid, so the law is, indeed, they will get malkut. We will do another mitzvah, since the previous mitzvah is indeed a short one. We do mitzvah number 146. That's the mitzvah of Sirefat Basar Kodesh Shinitma. It's a positive commandment that says that if indeed, like we learned in the last mitzvah, if let's say Basar of a Korban became Tameh, what do you do with it? So the law is you have to burn it. Pasuk says, Basar, Asher Yiga, Bechol Tameh, Lo Yachel, Baesh Yisaref. It's Zion, Pasuk Yutet. Now let's discuss. Some of the laws regarding burning kadashim shinit me'u. It all depends where you're going to burn it. It depends where it became tameh. So the Hanukh writes, nitma bifnim, let's say the korban became tameh in the azara. So where do you burn it? You burn it in the azara. Nitma bahuts la azara, if let's say it became tameh, outside of the azara, so therefore surfim ota bahutz. There's other items. Let's take example of notar. What is notar? Let's say you have a fellow that brought a korban shilamim. 
So he's able to take the meat home to his house. Now let's say, after the expiration of the korban shalamim, it becomes notar. So what do you have to do with notar? You burn it. Where do you burn the notar? Bebeto. He burns it in his house. Which means wherever it becomes unfit, that's exactly where you burn it. Now, what about bones of the korban? The bones of a korban, let's say of notar, do you have to burn the leftover bones? So it depends. If they have marrow inside of them, so then it's meat. So therefore, they're subject to the law of sirifah. However, if they don't have marrow in them, so there is no deen of burning it, except as an exception. There's one type of bone that no matter what, you must always burn, and that's the bone of Qurban Pesach. Why? Because the bone of Qurban Pesach, after the night of Pesach is over, whatever meat you have left over, for sure you have to burn. But even bones that don't have marrow, you have to burn also. Why? So the Hanukkah explains. Because there's probably meat on the bone. Why is there meat on the bone? Because since there's a law that says that you're not allowed to break the bones, so when they carve the Qurban Pesach, they're very careful not to get so close to the bone because they don't want to break the bone. So therefore we have to assume that there is still some meat of the Qurban on all the remaining bones of Qurban Pesach and therefore they are subject to the laws of Serefat Notar. Now, besides items that became tamer that you have to burn, there's other items as well. Notar, for example. Or, for example, a korban that became unfit. Or a minha, a meal offering that became tamer or became unfit or became notar. Or let's say a person brought an asham talui. What is an asham talui? That's a korban because he doesn't know if he made the sin or not. So he designated the korban. And before he brought it, he realized that he didn't do the sin. So what does he do with this korban? He can't bring it anymore. So the law is, it is nisraf. Or for example, a person that brings hatata off. He brings a korban uh, 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 of, a, of, a, of a bird, haba'ala safik. Well, the law is, the kohanim are not allowed to eat it because maybe he didn't do the sin. And therefore they made milika, and therefore it's not a proper shaita if he didn't do the sin. So therefore the law is, hatata off, haba'al safik is also nisraf. The hair of a nazir tahor, is also burnt at the end of his process. Also, there's a law of kil'eh kerim. If you have, let's say, mixture in the field of the, uh, of the, of the vines, if you, if, if you planted them next to another product, the law is you must burn the kil'eh kerim. Obviously, this mitzvah is no heget, bismana bayit, times the mitzvah If somebody transgresses and does not burn what they're supposed to, whether he's a kohen in the azara or a Israel in his house, Bitel mitzvah aseh, he has transgressed this mitzvah. Again, these laws, while today do not apply, but Prophet Hashem, we need to know them, because Beherai Banea Bigdash, and then these laws will be back into play. Baruch Rabotai, we continue the study of the Tariyag mitzvot, and we are up to mitzvah number 147. And that is the negative commandment in Parashat Sav, Shelo Nochal Helev, that we're not allowed to eat certain fats from the animals. As it says in the Pasuk, kol helev, shor, v'chesev, v'ez, lo tochelu. It's a perek zayin, Pasuk, chavgimah, that we're not allowed to eat the helev of, shor is an ox, 
Kesef is a sheep, and Ez is a goat. Now, why would the Torah forbid us from eating these types of foods? So the Chinuch writes, Yadua davar mefursam ben bene Adam, that is well known already and established, ki ma'achalim you are what you eat. The person's health is really dependent on the foods that he ingests. The body every day decays, and therefore we need to supply food in order to regenerate the body, which means, as we said, you are what you eat. Your food turns into your body. Therefore he says, when a person eats good foods, He'll have good, uh, good flesh, good, good, uh, good uh, metabolism. If he has bad foods, it's a big kindness of God, because God knows what the good foods are, and what the bad foods are. After all, we are his nation, he distances us from all foods that can cause a damage to the goof. What's going to happen if we eat these foods? It causes, God forbid, to have a wrong balance, and then, God forbid, it can cause sickness, and then we can't serve God in a healthy manner. Besides the spiritual damage that these foods obviously have to the body. Now, some of the laws regarding Isur Chelev. Number one, the Chelev that's Asur from the Torah is only the animals that the Torah mentioned. Shor, Kesev, and is. Now, it doesn't matter whether the animals are kesherot or terefot or nevelot. That means even if, let's say, they didn't slaughter the animal correctly. So you can't eat the meat anyway, but the chelib still has isur chelib. It doesn't have to be from a kosher slaughtered animal. Let's say the animal has a terefa. It does not matter. Now, the chelib of other animals... Not sure, not kesev, not is, and the chelav of haya, which is like a, a different type of domesticated animal. Whether it's temea, whether it's tehora, the chelav uh, is not asur mishum chelav. It'll be asur because of whatever it is, but it doesn't have the special isur of chelav. Now, there is a interesting Rambam over here that says if let's say you have a embryo in the mother's stomach, an animal. So the halakha says when you slaughter the mother, so the baby inside automatically becomes uh, permissible. So the halakha says that the chelev of a ubar, which means en bo isur. Interesting. So that is not considered isur, because that's considered a Limb of the mother, and that's not considered chelev. However, the Rambam has a hadush that says that if that embryo or that child that was inside the mother is a full term, then already it's not considered part of the mother anymore. It's considered a separate entity, and therefore the chelev is going to be asur when it comes out. The majority of the rabbis argue on Rambam, but again, he holds that if it's a full term, it's going to be asur. Now, this mitzvah applies, obviously, in every place, all times, male, female. Anybody that eats a kezayin of chelev b'mezid, he's going to get malkut. And if he eats it b'shogeg, uh, so therefore he's going to be hayab, hatat, uh, kibu'ah. Now, there is a leniency, to be pointed out. There is a leniency 
when it comes to Halev. The law is, one is not allowed to do business by selling not kosher meat. You're not allowed to make sechora when it comes to things that are forbidden. However, the exception to the rule is what? Halev. That you're allowed to sell Halev, but you're allowed to do business with Halev. So that's a big hadush that comes out over here. So that means, let's say you have uh, the Halev of a Hayah. The Halev of Hayah is not considered Halev. And therefore, if let's say you have a Hayah that's a Nevela, you will not be allowed to sell that Halev because that has a deen of Nevela. So there you have a case where it's not called Halev because it's not called Halev, it's a regular Nevela. And therefore, Nevela you can't do business with. Whereas in a Behemah, the Halev is called Halev of Isur. Halev of Isur you have to do business with. So it comes out, the Humrah of Halev comes out a Kula. So therefore, where it's called Halev and it's Asur to eat Midin Halev, it's Mutat to transact. However, where it's not asur mishum chelev, it'll be asur either because of it's a not kosher animal or it's a nevela or a terefa. So then already has a regular deen of not kosher food, and therefore one would not be able to transact. So therefore, we see in this case over here, humrato kulato. The humra of chelev comes out a kula in the deen of sechora. Rabotai, the tariag mitzvot, we're up to 148. Shelonokaldambehemahayabaof. <laughs> When one eats the blood of the animal, it can bring him to a cruel nature. When you're actually swallowing from the part of the animal, obviously it's the blood that is the nefesh, that is the lifeline of the animal. So when you eat it, you can acquire the nature of the animal. And therefore, you're getting not his intellect, not that he has too much intellect, the animal, but you're getting what's called nefesh bahamit, his animalistic way, and therefore it'll have a negative effect. Some of the mitzvot regarding, and the laws regarding eating blood. While the Torah forbids us to eat the blood of animals and bird, however, dam dagim mutar, the blood of fish is mutar. However, it's only talking about where it's kosher fish. However, if it's not kosher fish, it's asur. Also, dam adam human blood from the law of the Torah is permissible. That's why if you swallow the blood, after you brush your teeth, it's no problem. However, they were osed it because of marit ayin, and therefore one is... Uh, forbidden to have blood of Adam, again, from a rabbinical standpoint. Blood that is found in eggs is permissible from the Torah. It's only forbidden with Rabbanan if, again, there's a concern that an embryo 
is inside the yellow of the egg. There are certain type of bloods that the obligation or the punishment is karet. Certain type of bloods, the punishment is malkut. And certain type of bloods, like we just mentioned, are mutar. What's considered a dam? That's hayav, karet. That's called damanefesh. What is damanefesh? That is the blood that comes out of the animal in a spurt at the time of shechita. Furthermore, blood that is found in the heart, in the cavity of the heart, or blood that is being done when one is, when one is letting blood out of the animal, all those bloods are forbidden the isur karet. The dam of malkut is called dam tamsit. That is the blood that trickles out after the initial gush, after shechitam. Also, blood that is found in the organs of the uh, animal. However, blood that is found in the meat, that's called dama balua bebasar, shelopirash, that did not come out yet, is mutar. And therefore, it is permissible to eat in the Gemara's time. They would eat umsa. Umsa was raw meat. They cleaned the outside, so there's no blood on the outside. Even though there's blood inside, you eat it. There is no problem. It is mutar. However, once you cook meat, that blood goes out and it comes back in. That's dama evarim shepiresh. Once it comes out, it's asur. And therefore, the rabbis came along and said that the only way to get rid of that blood is through salting. And by salting it, that already removes the blood. Whatever's going to come out comes out. Whatever doesn't come out is not considered blood. It's called seer. And therefore, you have no problem. That's where we get koshering the meat. Now, at this point, the chinuch actually gives you the whole uh, seder of meliha. Washing the meat first, and then salting it, and soaking it again, and so on. I ain't sham for the details. Furthermore, there are certain types of meat that have so much blood in them that the minhag is not to rely only on salting, but they want you to roast it as well. And that's the liver example, exactly, and the brain. And therefore, one also roasts it a little on the fire and then they cook it. This mitzvah of not eating blood is no heget, bechol zeman, bechol makom. It applies in all places, at all times. Of course, it applies to male and female alike. If somebody transgresses and eats a kezayit of dam ha-nefesh, b'mezid, hayav karet. Dama evarim, and dama evarim specifically, b'mezid, lokeh, mina Torah. And b'shogeg would have to bring a korban khatat. If he ate dam abbasar, let's say they cooked a piece of meat, and they didn't salt it, that's considered dam shebishelo. Once the blood is cooked, it's only assumed that a banan. And if he eats that, of course it'll be hayab, but it'll only be hayab malkut, midrabanan.